The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. Welcome to our sparring session. In our sparring sessions, we invite our guests to showcase their skills in a realistic scenario. In these sessions, don't look at what I do. Look at what our guest does and learn from their style. In some sessions, I'm pretty easy to deal with, but usually my goal is to become the embodiment of your worst nightmare. Someone who is unnaturally persistent, unnecessarily difficult, and at times a little bit socially awkward. I want these conversations to be more difficult than it would be in real life so that when you encounter these situations, you'll know exactly how to handle it. We do the exact same thing with our trainings and in our one-on-one coaching sessions with clients. I strongly recommend listening to the accompanying episode with our guest that came earlier. It's probably the most recent episode. This will give you a little bit more context and help you to develop a better understanding of the scenario. Also, before we get started, I want to give you a reminder that my book is coming out the week of November 4th. This book will help you to overcome the fear and anxiety that comes with difficult conversations. It will also provide you with a simple, practical framework that you can use to approach every single difficult conversation, whether it's in the boardroom or the dining room table. The title of the book is like no other negotiation book because the book is like no other negotiation book. Do you want to know what the title is? I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) You have to wait until November 4th. It will retail at $19.95, but for that week, the first week it's on sale, for you listeners, the ebook version will be at a special Negotiate Anything discount of $0.99. So make sure you get it that week. And now, without further ado, let's jump into our sparring session. Okay, so here is some quick background on this negotiation simulation. I'm going to be a client that has unrealistic expectations. Karen's role is to help me moderate my expectations so we can move forward in the home buying process. Karen, thanks for meeting me today. I'm excited to talk about selling this house. Yes, I always appreciate the opportunity to visit with sellers such as yourself and talk about the marketing and sell the property and the market and how your home and its condition fits in with the market. For sure. Good deal. Yeah. And I I was talking to my wife about this and we've been in the house for 15 years. We had seven kids, three dogs, and we just had a great time, a really great time, some good memories there. But we are reasonable, conservative people, and we don't want to make a killing off of this. We just want to be compensated fairly for our home. That's all we want to do. And so after talking to my wife, we thought that a good conservative estimate for this would be $250,000. So, you know, we just went through the market study and we looked at the comparables for the area for your community and for the trends of the way the market is going. And in looking at that, which of the houses that would be 250,000 would be more than any other houses sold for in the area, which houses you're basing this price on? Oh, none of the houses. Actually, I'm, it's a good question. I'm, I really didn't consider any of the other houses when making this price. But I mean, Karen, when you walk throughout the neighborhood, when you walk and you see these houses, they don't really compare to our houses. Of course, I don't want to be arrogant or unreasonable here, but our house is just, it's a better house. And so even though there are other houses that might not have sold as much, I 
feel like ours is worth more. And I can certainly understand how you would feel that way. Many sellers have felt that way before. Uh, what we have found is that pricing is based upon what is called comparables. And comparables are recent sales, in most cases within six months, that can support the value. Because in this market area, a majority of the buyers are going to be getting financing, either with FHA, VA, or conventional, and they're all going to require an appraisal. Do you remember the financial market correction that happened about 10 years ago? Oh, how could I forget? So what happened there was a lot of houses were selling above what the market could support in terms of the comparables, and then values got out of line with the market, and then we had a crash, and then we've had a recovery, which has been great. But in that process, there were so the Dodd Frank Act was put in place, and Dodd Frank set up these criteria that lenders have to follow. And one of the criteria is the appraised value. Have you ever had your house appraised? Um, like when you refinanced it? Yeah, we did. But I tell you, I don't think they did it the right way because they put it at about 205000 And I really just think that was incredibly low, incredibly low for what we've put into it and the quality. So appraisers, they have a strict guidelines that they have to follow based on these uh, lending requirements set up by TRID and the Dodd-Frank. And so what they're using for value is often different than how sellers and homeowners such as yourself, because you've lived in this home and you have, in addition to it being a home or house with four walls and a roof and everything, it's also been your place where you raised your family. And so that's why a third party independent appraiser is part of the process. Have you had a chance to look at the Zillow or the tax assessment to look at those values? I did. And they put it at about 204000 Dollars And again, I just don't know how that could be right. I mean, we raised 11 kids in this house, six dogs. Oh, my goodness. What yeah. an amazing life it's you've an... had. So what those are are all what I call indicators. Mm -hmm. So the appraisal, the Zillow or the Z estimate. And it's interesting because the Z estimate, even the CEO of Zillow said the Z estimate is not Z accurate because <laughs> his own house didn't sell for the Z estimate. It actually sold for substantially less. So. Those are indicators, and they, again, are based on sales that they can document and verify, which is what the criteria is. Mm -hmm. So what we found is, is that the market is the market study. So putting the home on the market and listening to the showings that buyers come in through with their agents, the feedback on open houses is helpful, but the really most indicative feedback is that from the real buyers, because at any given point in time, there's a pool of buyers ready, willing, and able to buy a home. And if they're going to select the best house that's available at the time. And so if they select us, then yay, that means we price the house correctly. If they move on to another house, then that is the market is telling us something. Okay. So what would you suggest? So the parameter that we found works the best is... 10% seems to be 
and over market or around market seems to be close enough to get enough showings and to leave room for negotiations because we certainly want to make sure that we don't underprice a house. I will say, though, if a house is underpriced, have you heard about multiple offers and escalation causes? Mm-mm. What it shows is, is if a house is truly underpriced, so like let's say we priced it at 220 or 225 and we were wrong and you were right in the sense that there is somebody out there that is also looking for exactly that same house and they want to pay and there's multiple people, then oftentimes it can escalate over. So I always say the market goes both ways. It isn't always down. Sometimes it goes up. So what we want to do, though, is price it so that we will attract the most buyers. Right. Okay. That sounds good. At this point, Karen has successfully persuaded me to list the house at 10% above the appraisal. And so now we've received an offer and Karen is excited about the offer. I am less than excited about the offer. And so now you can see how Karen works with me at this point in the process. Karen, I heard we have an offer. Tell me. I know. Congratulations. This is always a happy day. First of all, just want to make sure that you got all of the documents and you had a chance to review the terms and they are strong terms. I know the price isn't exactly what we're looking for, but I do believe we have some room to work with. Yeah. Um, that's a nice way of saying it. It's not exactly what we wanted. They offered 180000 That's unacceptable. It's insulting. I don't know who these people are or who they think we are or this house is, but it, that's just beyond the pale, just beyond the pale. Well, I can understand how you might feel that way. Other sellers have felt that way before. What we have found is that statistically the first offer is the best offer. And so it's been 30 days on the market. The home has had a couple of dozen showings, which is really strong for this area and this price point at this time of year. And so that means, remember when we talked about, I said, there's a pool of buyers ready, willing, and able to buy a home. Mm-hmm. Well, they've seen your house. And out of all of those people, one person took the time to write an offer. And if you'll notice, they did submit a lender letter. So they are qualified. They do not have a house to sell. And the rest of the terms are in line with the market in terms of study periods and contingencies. So really, I understand how the price is not what you want. But I believe that this is something that we should at least respond to and see if we can come to an agreement. So respond to. So you know how you have the cell phone and you have these emojis and you have the emoji with the eyebrows down and the face is really red and really upset. Can you just respond with that and see how how they respond to that? Because that's how I'm feeling. 180 is ridiculous. So I understand how you might feel. Other sellers have felt that way before. What we found is, is when a buyer comes in at a number like that, they're wanting to go somewhere probably in the middle because buyers write offers based on thinking that you're going to negotiate and they're going to negotiate. Mm. And so that's where our response is somewhere that goes towards the middle, then you are more likely to come to an agreement. And again, if we had, had received offers prior to now, then we would feel like maybe it would be not worth working with this offer. But this is the only offer we have. Mm. And so your vibe is that we'll end up around 200000 That is with the direction that most offers go in when they come in like this. And remember when we looked at comparables and we talked about values and how those 
values have to be supported by appraisals. Mm -hmm. The appraisal numbers all came back close to that 200 number. So Mm. 200 to 205. And so we can certainly use that information when we respond to the buyer. But in my experience, we want to make the biggest move towards them in the beginning so that we show that we want to work with them. But at the same time, they need to come up as well. Mm. So what does that mean? Does that mean we just counter with 200 then? So we could do that. Oftentimes what happens when we do that, then the buyer's going to split the difference and then go to 190, which means we might end up a little bit below 200. So Mm -hmm. if we came close to 200, but not right there, so like maybe like 207, that shows that we're giving on our side, we kind of want them to give the same amount or, or maybe more coming towards 200. And then once they come back, then we'll know how we're likely to come together. Gotcha. Okay. Sounds good. Well, good. We can end this negotiation here. Yeah, you did a really, really great job. We are now offering conflict management and negotiation workshops for companies. If you like the content here and you think your team would benefit from getting a customized seminar, then all you need to do is email me or go to the American Negotiation Institute's website to learn more. And now, back to the show. Hi, I'm Jonathan Fields. Tune into my podcast for conversations about the sweet spot between work, meaning, and joy. And also listen to other people's questions about how to get the most out of that thing we call work. Check out Spark wherever you enjoy podcasts. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Yeah, you did a really, really great job. That was good. And you handled me even though I was emotional and I magically <laughs> got more kids every time I talked about it. I know. I'm like, oh, I'm so the script is feel felt found. Mm. So the idea is you want to say, you want to recognize that the person feels what they feel and not to judge it or discount it or disclaim it in any way. So you say, I understand how you feel. Other people have felt that way before because you want to validate it. So they don't feel like they're the only ones out there that have felt that way. And then what we have found, we want them to move towards solution. We want them to move towards the solution we want them to take. So that's where you bring in your solution. If you start with what you want them to do, then usually they're like, well, you never heard what I had to say. So, Mm. or you're not on my side. You're not thinking about me and what I want. So that's why that's important. That's brilliant. And what's funny is I've never heard it described that way. Feel, felt, found. And even me, my character, I felt a lot better with the way that you responded. You didn't make me feel like I was silly or anything. And I felt as though you understood me. And I remember the first time you hit me with it, you said, I certainly understand. And then other people have felt that way too. And what we found. And what's brilliant is that you acknowledged my emotions. You acknowledged its validity by talking about other people who have felt the exact same way. And without saying the word but, which nullifies everything that you said before, you say what we found is, and you make it so that it's not your argument versus my argument. 
this is just what the studies have shown. This is what we have found. And so you're putting the responsibility on a nebulous third party that is not there to argue. And so you're just sharing that information and then you're sharing it in a way that makes it almost unimpeachable. Well, so you figured it out. So I'm telling you, it works in all sorts of situations. My husband does it to me all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, that, now that he's been trained on it, he's like an expert in pill, pill, foul. Well, I understand how you feel. I'm like, okay, don't use my own strategy. <laughs> it is a classic. It's a classic in sales, but it works in negotiations. And the reason is, is like you just said, people want to know that you understand how they feel. Now, every once in a while, if you have a really cerebral person, you can say, I can understand how you might think that. Mm. And other people have thought that way before what we've found. So if you can tell they're not really feeling people, if it's a thought and they might, oh, I can understand how you might think that the Zillow Z estimate is the right one. Other people have thought that way before. So you can use it in the thought, in the think thought too. I like it. And what's great about it too, and listeners, I hope you picked up on this. In the second half of that mock negotiation, I stated my displeasure, and then Karen used feel, felt, found on me, and then I restated my displeasure in the form of emojis. <laughs> and what you did was brilliant. You did feel, felt, found again. And so with a lot of these tactics, sometimes people make the mistake of saying, well, it didn't work the first time. I guess I need to try something different this time, or it just won't work, or this person's difficult to deal with. They are impervious to this technique. No, what you do is you do it again. If you're Steph Curry, if you miss a three, what you do the next time is you shoot another three <laughs> because you know eventually you're going to make it. So with these techniques, especially this one, this is really, really solid, really, really tight. And I think you can just keep using it and using it and using it again and maybe vary what you found hit them with one piece of evidence and or one argument and then another one, but don't abandon the technique. Keep using the technique. Absolutely. And again, you may use it multiple times before they actually hear you because most people, if they're in an emotional state and they're sending a lot of emojis, they may <laughs> not hear you the first time. They may be shut down because they're in an emotional state. So it may take a few times just to get into it. I love it. Perfect. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. And I really liked this sparring session. You did a great job. Well, if we got the household. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Perfect. And now my uh, 95 kids can find a new place to live. <laughs> <laughs>